welcome to Jurassic Park for 8 minutes, where we'll discuss the second Jurassic Park sequel one minute at a time. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. On this episode, we'll be discussing 22 of Jurassic Park 3. I'm sorry we had to be so... Who hit me? That would be, um, Cooper. What are they doing? They're setting up a perimeter to make the place safe. These guys are good. Trust me, on this island, there is no such thing as safe. We have to get back on that plane. Will you tell your wife to stop making that noise? That is a very, very bad idea. Over the Christmas break, Colin had been doing a few interviews with some people in the media. And um, they asked him some questions about sort of Fallen Kingdom, Jurassic World, and going on into Jurassic World 3, where, uh, again, like most interviews by people, or those involved that can't really say a lot, it's uh, pretty standard pretty standard answers going through here. But they were asked about some things, like, um, like the animals going after or uh, attacking cities in Jurassic Park, for, in Jurassic World 3, and... It was just good to see Colin respond with, um, uh, whoops, i go down. Oh, I've lost where I was now. <laughs> Pretty much saying that why, why would a, why would a dinosaur want to attack a city? There's play, plenty of places now where you have, um, prey or predators <laughs> around the city and they don't come in and attack people. Yes, they're a little bit smaller than a dinosaur, <laughs> but you do sometimes have wolves and that come into urban centers when they're half the food, but they're not really going out and deliberately attacking, being organised and attacking people. So. Yeah. I mean, he's, he does have a good point there. I mean, it's not like we see daily attacks, uh, quote-unquote attacks, like by wolves, coyotes, or bears on uh, American cities. I mean, they do show up there on occasion, and people get scared because they eat their little toy poodles and... Be they, because they left the little toy pools around where their house used to be the coyotes' territory. Hmm. But it's not like they're actively trying to maliciously attack the city and bring it down, like Godzilla attacking Tokyo. <laughs> I'm just going to smash this building for no reason. <laughs> exactly. They're not, they're not uh, nuclear abominations hell-bent on uh, mankind's punishment, you know? I mean, they're just not. They're animals. Hmm. Yeah, and sort of coming here with um, part of his response to the question about sort of comparing dress, what might happen to Godzilla or Planet of the Apes, um, he sort of says the world he gets excited about is where um, it's possible that a dinosaur might run out in front of a car on a foggy road mm. or um, invade your campground looking for food, which as sort of a B or C plot to the film, mm. yes, maybe the dinosaurs are causing problems like that, but... I don't think it's going to be a major mm-hmm. plot point of the film. Just no. yeah. the, the comment that they could be attacking campgrounds, though, does kind of spur my imagination on what could possibly be the opening for the next movie. Um, my idea was that, of, of course, they would stay around mostly the Redwoods. I mean, you look at the Redwoods, those trees have been there for over 70 million years, you know? So that's kind of a natural dinosaur mm. habitat. That's why they filmed there in The Lost World. But my idea would be, of course, because there's so many campgrounds around the Redwoods, you can't throw a stick in the <laughs> air without landing on one. And so a man, his wife, and his child are out camping in the Redwoods, and now this kind of takes a bit from the uh, first novel, if that spoils where I'm going here. Him, he, uh, he hears a chirping noise and hears a rustling in his tent and 
he, when, he, when he wakes up and goes for a, a pistol, thinking it's a raccoon, he sees the head pop up and is near his infant's head, near where his infant is sleeping and is bloody. He mm. takes a couple of shots at the uh, at the Comsagnathus that we see, and it and he misses, of course, because I mean, of course, you can't harm dinosaurs with guns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it just scur- and it and it just couldn't and a couple others scurry off into the darkness, and that's our opening scene. Is this man freaking out, finding dinosaurs eating his baby <laughs> in the middle of the night? Yeah, and that's sort of one really, um, I suppose, yeah, horrific sort of thing seen from the original novel too, mm-hmm. where they come forward, and you've also got um, as part of the same novel, Kathy on the beach, but or Tina on the mm-hmm. beach, um, where it was changed to Kathy. But I wonder if, I wonder if the opening to the Lost World sort of hurts. If you could do a scene like that again with the compies where you've already sort of got one, yes, it'd be a completely different setting, um, but it's still sort of one of them things where you've got compies mm-hmm. coming in and attacking, but it would be great to see on on screen yeah. something like that. A little bit darker. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's probably would honestly be something that would probably not be done just because of the rating. You'd have to heavily edit that just to edit, just... So you have heavy implication rather than you actually seeing anything, but yeah, I'd I'd like to see want that scene done in film just because it's one of the most memorable scenes from the first novel, simply because mm. of its horrificness. Yep. Yeah, and then it's another another plot point of the of the film that sort of dropped between, of the novel that sort of dropped between that and even the Lost World. Um, it's sort of hinted at that there are animals on on the mainland, but it's never really addressed, or well, nothing's ever really done about it. Mm. Which is kind of the interesting thing about Jurassic World Three, is we are going in, we are finally getting there. We're finally getting dinosaurs on the mainland, which is something that, frankly, has been wanted to have been done since the first novel. Hmm. <laughs> I just wish it was a natural migration, not a. Uh auction selling off to the russians and all the other stuff but i suppose if you need need to get the animals as far and wide as you can mm. like if like the novel like the novel it's all going to be all going to be central to costa rica where you could go back to hawaii and keep shooting there yeah um, whereas in now we are kind of in the middle of the redwoods auric which is five miles from the lockwood mansion is this tiny little town set right there in the middle of the redwoods i've been there when i was went to the redwoods and so if say the Indominus, I mean, I'm sorry, the Indoraptor got out and managed to get to that town, it would have been a bloodbath. The town would have been mm. ripped out of the, out of, off the map. Well, even even seeing blue at the end coming to that the back back suburbs of that town, mm-hmm. even though it sort of looked more like a Nevada or sort of that rocky mm-hmm. rocky mountainous terrain there. Well, we saw the truck. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say it's just sort of interesting to see these different landscapes mm-hmm. that aren't jungle or the redwoods but well we did see the tronodons in vegas so <laughs> that was <laughs> they're pretty fast viva las vegas yeah <laughs> yeah we'll see we'll see how that ties into the third film yeah um i suppose there's not really a lot else um those asked to he's um no, not there where is it 
Oh, he said he said must have said in previous interviews that uh, Jurassic World Three will have the most accurate dinosaurs yet. Um, and of course, he was asked about the feathers and otherwise, and he was sort of saying that the the dinosaurs from the the series are how they're going to stay for the most part. But now that there's um, other people getting their hands on the cloning mm-hmm. technology, there's going to be some variations mm-hmm. in animals, which could be interesting to see how they go down the road there with innovation. I mean, it goes back to some of the stuff that Dodson wanted the dinosaurs for in the first and second novels, having, for example, safari parks where you can go and pay to shoot a triceratops, or uh, even like medical testing, like you can test cosmetics on a uh, what would be the the dinosaur equivalent of a pig, maybe a uh, Cetacosaurus or a Protoceratops or something like that, you know. Mm. Yeah, and it's sort of interesting now, especially after Fallen Kingdom, where it's um, like mainly from the Lost World novel where he's talking about we need to get these assets now, the time to strike, and um, because of because of testing, no one no one's going to care about the dinosaur because it's not a real animal and all that sort of thing. Instead of um, testing on dogs and monkeys and that, like mm-hmm. now would be a fantastic time to bring that in post Jurassic or Fallen Kingdom where the Dinosaur Protection Group were trying to save the island and no one, the government, wouldn't step in to do anything about it. So it just, again, sort of shows that, no, oh, maybe people do, but the governments don't care about these animals. They don't seem as real animals. Um, well, I'm still kind of pu- curious about what they're going to do with the social media account uh, Extinction Now because that came very late into the marketing game for Fallen mm-hmm. Kingdom. And so I'm kind of wondering if that was a setup for the third movie, and not just for Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, yep. Yeah, but we do have a bit of a wait <laughs> before they... I think they're still scripting and everything else, so they haven't even started pre-production yet, so... There's going to be a little bit of a wait to see what they start putting together for the film. Yeah. Anything else on that you want to discuss before we get into today's minute? Um, no, I think we're good. Alright. As we're in minute 21 of Jurassic Park 3... The group had gotten back into plane, and Nash had throttled up the engines and it started to take off. But in the jungle, Cooper was fleeing from the Spinosaur, and emerged on the end of the airstrip and tries to wave him down. As we open up minute 22, Nash says, you know I can't stop this plane, and get out of the way. And Cooper pleads, and says, please stop. At the six second mark, he looks back to the jungle as the Spinosaur emerges, and runs across the airstrip, and bends down and picks up Cooper in his jaws. Seeing this, Nash says, oh my god, and pulls back on the yoke, trying to get the plane in the air. But the left propeller hits the Spinosaur, and the plane goes down. At the 21 second mark, after losing its tail, landing gear, and wings, the plane comes to a stop in the top of a large tree. Everyone slowly sits up, and takes a moment to breathe. At the 42 second mark, Udesky tells everyone to just stay put, granting nausea, and starts to walk towards the back of the plane. But then Udesky tries the radio, calling for Sam 1 approach and calling Mayday. Nash turns to the others and yells who's got the satellite phone and Paul goes and retrieves it from his backpack. And as the minute ends, Grant gets the back door open slightly to reveal that they haven't quite landed yet. Well, first off, I do want to make a little correction from last week. Turns out, yes, they yes, Jurassic World or Fallen Kingdom did use Denham Air, or I'm sorry, Dillingham Airfield for um, 
for filming Jurassic World. They also used the airfield for the base camp. Mm. So that base camp that we saw them setting up in, um, so, uh, where we set them up and then launching off from in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom was also Dillingham Airfield. Mm. Yeah, because I, um, I posted a photo up on that, in that base camp where one of the tents is. You see an old, and it's clearly an old 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 satellite dish that's set up for communications mm-hmm. there and it was sort of one of those things that looks very similar to the satellite dish that's on top of the shack and whether if they do use the area for filming whether there's some sort of like props depot there that they just recycle props for filming and that but it's impossible to know for sure <laughs> without having someone on the ground knowing what's what's there being used but because we also in that shot too in the movie we actually get like there's the old destroyed fences in that as well which Sort of makes you wonder mm-hmm. if it was something something built for Jurassic World, or if it was something dating back to Jurassic Park. But but yeah, as we open on minute twenty two, we cut back to the plane as Nash is projecting to Cooper that you know I can't stop this plane because they're obviously not able to hear each other. Mm-hmm. And then we cut back outside the Cooper as he uh, sees the plane, and it's sort of a good thing here where they're actually using a real plane on the airstrip here, where you can see how fast it's approaching. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, Cooper's probably composited in in front of it, and it's not actually flying towards him at speed. But you really wouldn't even have to do a full model. It's just kind of like a darkish blur blob sitting there on the airfield. Hmm. Yeah. But uh, then we sort of see from the side past Cooper at the jungle as the uh, Spinosaur emerges, mm-hmm. takes a couple of steps out on the runway and snaps him up. And I'm glad it sort of bends down and grabs him sideways, sort of like a crocodile. Um, and not just how we normally see the Rex come out and just grab grab people from the top. Can we just comment, though, that like right before he uh, it eats him, we get the shot, the quick shot of Cooper, and then the quick shot of Nash. And the quick shot of Cooper we see, I mean, he just looks so desperate and scared. I mean, that's actually really good acting right there. I, I don't think I've ever seen some um, full-grown man just reduced to that kind of fear. Well, especially in these films where you got the predators, mm-hmm. um, like Dita, Dita didn't do it for the compies. Like um, Muldoon just knew he was <laughs> he was stuffed in Jurassic Park. There was no, yeah. he didn't really have much time to react. Once clever girl, he's gone straight away. But it's just yeah, that sort of raw fear. Looking at the uh, frame by frame here, I got set up here. I do like the shot we get of the Spinosaurus as it first emerges, we you don't really get to appreciate it because it happens so fast in the movie, but the way that the uh, foot is, it reminds me a lot of the early theropod reconstructions from the early 2000s, where they had the foot kind of like a modern bird's when it lifts up, where it's kind of just creased there in the middle of the foot with the toes pointing towards the ground. Yep of uh, Cooper in his mouth and I'm going to admit the first time I got the VHS me and my, me and my dad kind of sat down and watched it together and we and it was one of those whoa moments and we got it we got to pause the tape just as the mouth was about to snap <laughs> down on the on Cooper here and it looked fake then it looks fake now I'm mm. sorry. I mean, it, there's one of the worst CGI practical blends in 
the Jurassic Park movies where I probably went up there with the CGI Brachiosaurus mixing in with a practical set. That just, I mean, you can tell that the CGI is not there when you're, when it's on Cooper. Yeah, especially I try to hide it too with having the shot low. You only see sort of its legs and then it ducks mm-hmm. down in frame to grab him. Um, just so you haven't got the whole body there, but I wonder if it's just a matter of mm-hmm. whether or not they sort of had time to do the CG on it or they'll just going along trying to get what they could filmed. I mean, you can tell, you can tell that uh, Cooper's practical in the shot and you got to admit that the model itself is very well done in the, it's a very good CGI model. The blend is just not well done. Hmm. Yep. But inside the plane, Nash sees it. <laughs> oh my God. Pulls back on the yoke, trying to get the plane to raise in the air. Uh, whether it's, anywhere near takeoff speed or not it does get off the air but as the plane sort of gets some attitude it's not enough and mm-hmm. there's a spray of blood across the windscreen and the plane drops to the left yeah you you get the shot of the plane um you get the shot of the plane just making it over the sail of the spinosaurus but what you and if you look if you pause it just right you'll be able to see a little bit of spl- of blood spurting from behind the sail as the plane goes over it. And of yep. course you see the blood splatter on the windshield, which is obvious. Yeah. Which I had to look um, where the where the props were in relation to the windscreen, because I think I've read somewhere, or seen somewhere someone commenting that if the props hit the windscreen, especially if the speed the plane's flying, it would never get on the windscreen of the plane. It would be on the side of the plane, but I never had a quick look at the plane there, but and it is, it is, later on we'll get to the script where it is that left engine that's hit. Um, and that's why here you can see the plane clearly banks to the left as they lose power, or lose lose a prop from that engine, and um, starts to go down. In the cockpit, Yudeski yells out, uh, fuel cut off, and Nash replies, we're going down. You can see the sky out the windscreen mm-hmm. turn into trees as the nose drops down. And like, The crash itself here, it happens real quick here where you've got Cooper and Nash, uh, yeah, Cooper and Nash, in, oh, Udesky and Nash in the cockpit, and he's sort of, Nash says we're going down. You can hear the alarm in the background, how it's really, like, beep, beep, beep fast. Yeah. But then as soon as the crash happens, you sort of still hear that alarm, but it's slowed right down just to show you how fast this crash happens. And it's only about seven seconds of screen time from when it enters the jungle and when it stops in the tree at the end. Which was actually a practical effect. Well, I mean, it's mm. practical mixed with CGI, but uh, Johnston actually filmed a practical plane going through a practical forest. And yeah. just having pieces rip off as they filmed it uh, going through the going through their uh, little set they had created. Um, the prop, I forget how big it was. It was probably a good three or four feet across. So that's yeah. a good scaled prop, and you just and what they ended up what they did was they took the prop and they they had it on a string that they just whipped they just had a rip right through like a bun like a, you could see it was real tricky too they had it was, mm. um, like a bunch of gnarled trees and potting plants and, I mean potted trees and uh, potters and you could just see I have to dig out the picture it's really cool yeah. Yeah, I think, we'll our, I think our listeners would appreciate it. Yep. 
Yep. But yeah, the landing gear is the first thing to go, then the wings, and then the tail. And I wonder if it's just because of Udesi's line that he shut the fuel off, and that's why there's no explosions. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah. I think so too. Well, of course, but that's even. Probably- that would probably be the smartest thing to do if you're in a plane crash is to automatically shut the fuel off because if that ignites, you're all gone. Yeah, and especially like where the when the wings are cut, they're cut at the side of the plane, not out where the fuel tanks would be, so it's possible the tanks wouldn't have even ruptured. Mm. I'm looking at the pictures of the practical forest here that we see, and I'm kind of wondering if this was the same forest they used in the teaser that we've talked about at the beginning of this show Mm. where we see the just the quick flashes of jungle and stuff because it kind of looks the pigmentation of the um of the mist and stuff is very very similar yeah yeah and we get sort of that high grass too that they run through later Mm -hmm. find the tyrannosaur yeah that i think was um one of the sets because we'll see here coming up in the next couple of minutes when um, Nash falls to the ground and we see him get stomped on and the leg kind of censors out him getting decapitated <laughs> by the Spinosaurus. And it's very much that kind of same tone as we see in the trees here, that kind of bluish yeah. mist color. Yep. Yep. But um, now the crash happens and it's sort of... In the plane, we get Alan so lift his head and painfully aware of what just happened and how, how it means they're all screwed now. And mm-hmm. Everyone else sort of gets up taking the situation. It's it's hard to sort of see where, like, none of the actors got any damage. Like, there's no cuts or bruises or scrapes or anything. They only get them in the next minute when the fuselage is rolling around the ground. Yeah, they don't have they will. You think how you think yeah, you think how hard and fast that plane goes from near takeoff speed to stopping. You'd think there'd be a few more boo boos on their heads. But... I would imagine the most if um, if they didn't have their seatbelts on, more of the damage would have been internal. because that thing stops yeah. hard and fast, and unfortunately the shot for it is kind of like very obvious CGI though. But it just goes from like 900 miles per hour to just yeah. stuck right there in those trees. <laughs> yep. Yudeski yells out that he and Nash are okay up front and then goes uh, to work on the radio. Scene one approach, mayday, mayday, mayday. And Nash calls back, uh, who has the satellite phone? I don't know if I corrected when we, uh, with their approach to Sauna and we get scene one approach warning them that they're entering restricted airspace and to turn around. We'll, we'll theorizing like in that minute that it was possibly a town on the coast or something, but scene one is whenever I type San Juan into Google, it kept on coming into San Jose. So mm-hmm. whether San Juan is the actual name for the San Jose Tower, I'm not sure. But, yeah, whenever I tried to type in San Juan, it kept on coming to Costa, uh, to San Jose <laughs> International Airport. So that might be just another another name for it that they've used in the film. Mm-hmm. But Paul looks about himself and he says, I do, and goes to his bag and pulls out this phone and hands it to Nash. And uh, Udesky mentions that the radio is dead, which, remember in those early minutes, he switched it off with another switch on the on the panel up, up on the dashboard. So whether he's just forgetting how to turn the radio on or whether it's completely dead. Because I suppose during the crash and then later when the front's ripped off the plane, there's no real sparks or anything either. Like, it seems like the power's dead to the plane. But uh, at the rear of the plane, Alan manages to open the rear door slightly 
but uh, it's blocked by a tree branch. And as the minute ends, we follow his gaze past some falling leaves down to the jungle floor described in both the novel and script as being 30 feet below. Which it sort of looks a little bit high, but then if it's much higher, you're not going to have the spinosaurus so be able to look in the front window of the plane. Yeah. And the spinosaurus is, what, 25 feet, they said, I think? Yeah, I think some close to and that, the, so... And the plane is kind of angling downwards anyway. Because when yeah. it falls, it, fall, it falls nose first. Yeah. But briefly in the script, the novel comparisons, uh, in the script there's a little more time between the Spinosaur grabbing Cooper and the plane hitting it. Uh, everyone in the plane sees it happen, or sees the Spinosaur getting Cooper, and Amanda turns away and grabs Paul saying, oh my god. And um, that's when Nash pulls back on the stick and the plane rises, but the uh, left prop hits the flank of the animal, snapping the blades. So that's what cuts the power, power there, the engine, and it banks away. Mm-hmm. We also get to see the blood spray on the windscreen and the side windows, which would sort of call back to what I was saying before about where the engines were located on the side of the plane. Mm -hmm. But once the plane crashes, Billy asks if everyone's okay, and Udesky tells everyone to be quiet and stay put. And he tries the radio, but it's dead, and Paul gives the satellite phone to Nash um, as per film, but that's when Grant discovers they haven't landed yet. So Mm -hmm. that's the script. And in the novel, it happens pretty much the same way, although when the plane hits the animal, um, we hear an it's described as an angry roar and a thump. Obviously, no blood on the windscreens being a children's novel. <laughs> it's a little bit lighter in that respect. But uh, Udesky also tells Nash to get the sat phone from from the Kirby's after they um, find the radio's dead. So a little bit different there as well. Anything else on minute 22 you want to discuss before we get heavier today? Yeah, I think we uh, covered that pretty well. All right. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at lostworldminute.com. The main website is... JurassicMinutes.wordpress.com, and you can find the Lost World Minutes and Jurassic Minutes over on Facebook with the uh, pages there. David, where are you on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter, we are at Jurassic Minute. Uh, Instagram is the Jurassic Minutes Podcast. Some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best intentions. This is how you make dinosaurs? If we split up, I'm going with you guys. Dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them is fossilized in the rocks. And it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries. Now what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters. Nothing more and nothing less. Are you saying that you wouldn't want to get onto Isla Sorna and study them if you had the chance? No force on earth or heaven could get me on that island. Your desk. Hello? Charlie! Charlie! Hello? Charlie, take the phone to mommy now! It's the, it's the dinosaur there! Okay.